0: Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Revive Stronger Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Dr. Bill Campbell back on the show. And last time he was talking through a case study that he's going to run. And that case study has now been run. Uh, The results haven't been analyzed, but it's actually been done. And this case study was Bill himself going through a high carbohydrate diet protocol to kind of look at this question of can you lose fat on very high carb diet, and particularly consuming foods that are highly insulinogenic with a high glycemic load. And is there this terrible hormone response that inhibits fat loss, or can you still lose fat during this period of time? And so his objective was done. He lost 10% of his body weight over the past months and executed everything as he needed to. And you're gonna hear some of the foods he was eating, and this wouldn't be your classic bodybuilder diet. Protein wasn't very high, carbohydrates were at 60% plus, and he was eating. Eating many processed foods that you would say don't have the best place within a diet. So, did it go as he expected? We're going to kind of dig into that and see what happened, talk about what happened to his testosterone and things like this. Then, we dive into one of his greatest hits from Body by Science, where they looked at what causes a weight loss plateau metabolic adaptation or a lack of dietary adherence. We dig into what actually is going on there, what happens in most people's diets, what the practical take-homes are for you as a dieter or as a coach who coaches people for fat loss and things like this. As always, we're Bill, a really, really insightful and great chat. And as a reminder, guys, here at Revive Stronger, We're an online coaching company. We help people drop fat. So a lot of the things that we touch on today, we coach people through this to maintain their muscle mass, to drop the fat, whether or not they're going for the bodybuilding stage, a photo shoot, or just want to feel and look healthier. This is something that we're doing with them. So if you're interested in doing coaching with us, you can always find that link in the description below we make sure to keep our coaching very, very communicative, super important for coaching, as you might expect, even though it's online, it's kept very personal. We have multiple means of being able to do that. And we really pride ourselves on that service that we provide. So if you want to learn more, as I said, it's in the description below, you'll find a link to our online coaching. But without further ado, let's get into the chat with Bill. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Bill Campbell back on the show. It was uh, seven months ago we last spoke, or at, that was at least it was last released, uh, Bill. So I can't believe it's quite been that long. How have you been? How are you doing?
1: I've been great, doing well. And thank you for having me back on. I lo- love our conversations. Um, just sitting in my Florida weather today. <laughs>
0: We we're just talking off air and uh, I'm always jealous of yeah the weather over there in Florida and in London here we're already starting to like put our woolly coats on and yeah, wrap up because it's getting pretty cold even though I'm sat here in a vest but Yeah. Once you train, I always find I get really warm for the rest of the day once I train, which is quite nice, kind of kicks off the the metabolism in some way. So actually something we spoke about and I I had already told Bill I wanted to to catch up on was we left that podcast talking about this case study that you were performing on yourself, where you were going to kind of test the assertion of people going low carb to try and lose fat and how, hey, if you're high carb, it's not going to be as effective fat loss or maybe it even can prevent fat loss in some way. So you're doing this diet of high insulinogenic foods, really high carb, in fact, um, kind of higher carb than maybe some people even would think you would go because your protein was kept. I think you were keeping your protein relatively quite low compared to like, I don't know, bodybuilders who are keeping one gram per pound plus of protein. Uh, so how did it go? What updates can you give us?
1: Yeah, so I finished the, the case study and the goal was to lose 10% of my body weight. So I started in, I think it was March 1st, and I weighed 231 pounds. And I'll just do that math about 105 kilograms. And again, the goal was I'm going to stay on this high carbohydrate, high glycemic load, and likely a very high insulin-producing diet until I lose ten percent of my body weight, which would have put me to about two hundred and seven pounds, or about one hundred and four, one hundred and four point five kilograms. And I, just within the last month, so what? Um, so in at the end of September. I had hit the 10% weight loss goal. And I have not had an opportunity yet to do a lot of the analysis. But what I can say is eating a very high carbohydrate diet. So a lot, think of a lot of processed foods. So um, uh, sodas, um, soft drinks, um, high sugar cereals, a lot of packaged foods. So things like that.
0: Do you have I was sorry bill. Do you that? have like a like a, what did like a day of eating look like so we can like visualize it what what was like a standard day for you?
1: Well, just you tell me, give me a give me any day you want in the last 6 months. Just throw out a day and I'll tell you what I ate.
0: Were you tracking on my fitness pal or something like this?
1: Um um it, it's called Macros First, Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. I haven't heard of that one. There's there's so many uh apps out there now to be able to track them. I like found my fitness pal and then it's just like hey. This this has all my foods in here now. It's like I don't want to have to think about changing to a different one and how they work. So um, let's go like just a a month ago or something, uh, like the the twenty fifth of the last month, September. September Actually, you finished. When did you say you finished? End of September.
1: End of September, right?
0: So maybe the twenty fifth of uh, September, if you are still dieting, then.
1: All right. So that day I had, just about two thousand calories, three hundred and seventeen grams of carbs. 83 grams of protein, 48 grams of fat. So this was 62% carbs. So 60% was, that's usually what I was probably likely around there. I have one of my research members is uh, analyzing a lot. All right. So that day's food, oatmeal with a banana, um, onion flavored rings, think potato chips, um, a, basically a burrito bowl. So rice, black beans, no chicken. Um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, very high sugared cereal with some milk and then another package Cheetos, like snack food. So that was that day. Let's just go back to, let's go August 25th. Let's see what I did that day. So that was a 55% carbohydrate day. Um, this was 2,100 calories. So Doritos and soda, so Pepsi. Um, another rice bean burrito or burrito. And let's see, right Mexican rice, more tortillas, cheese, breadcrumbs. So that's a meal. I I know what that is. That's a a meal that my wife made. So Uh, chicken. Yeah. So what was my protein then? Well, protein was still only 94 grams, so it was still low. Um, and then again, I had chocolate chip cookies and more crunchy Cheetos packaged foods. So there's, there's, that's a very typical day.
0: Yeah. This is, I guess, uh, as a, like a personal trainer and I'm, if I saw this diet, I'd be like, Hey, <laughs> you, uh, this is maybe not the best diet to be trying to lose <laughs> weight on. Uh, like that's, and I guess that was the goal, right? You wanted to kind of be like, Hey, look at the foods I'm eating. Look at the kind of macro profile. A lot of people would look at that and be like. Hmm, that doesn't look like a fat loss diet. And here you are having lost 10% of your body weight, which is no small feat, especially because, well, not especially, but it's a lot of weight for you too, because you're a heavier individual compared to say a smaller male or female. So it's like over 20 pounds that you're losing here. So that's, uh, yeah. how was it for you? Because I guess, have you eaten that way before? Like, was it quite a change for you?
1: Um, so I had essentially gotten my weight up to, a, to an obese status, clinically obese. So I was at 231 pounds, uh, which we said was what, 105 kilograms to start. And I had maintained that for six, about six months prior to dieting, because I didn't want to just go up and then come back down. I thought that, that wouldn't, that's, I didn't want it to be that. So, um, I had been, eat, so the only thing that changed, my exercise stayed the same for, the, again, previous six months into this. So I have resistance trained about three days per week. Another three days, I would do some type of cardio, whether it was walking or, or light jogging. And so, so, yes, so the really only thing that changed was the, the calories. Now, how do I normally eat? I, I I am never to be someone to be confused with eating a really health what most people would consider a healthy diet. That, that's not me. I am somebody who typically, for my entire adult life, pretty high protein, about, you know, around 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kg. Um, not not much fast food. I don't there's not much of that, but snacks. So I'll eat cookies. I get pizza on the weekends. Um, I typically would eat. And a lot of fruit, fruit, uh, fruit smoothies that I make in, in my house. So, not quite to this extreme, and with the processed foods. So a lot more processed foods, but it's not like I had just adopted them. I had, I, I eat process. I've eaten processed foods my entire life, um, and I think the other important thing to to mention is, I'm not advocating that people diet like this. I was just getting a, a little fatigued with. The some in our space saying you have to reduce carbs to lose weight. Like, what are you doing if you're not reducing your carbs? And and I said, No, I don't believe that to be true based on the literature. I want to do a a case study that would meet the scientific threshold for publishing as a case study so that I can help coaches with clients, not again, not to say, hey, diet like this. But to say, you know, you here's a scientific case study that hopefully will be published that people can point to to say, you don't have to eliminate carbs to lose weight. Now it's not the best decision to to eat like this because it keeps your hunger fairly high. But this, let's just focus on calories. And I would suggest this: if somebody starts their weight loss journey eating like I was eating. I wouldn't, I would be very reluctant to start changing a lot about what they do. And instead I would just try to help them eat less of what they're currently doing. So I think there is a lot of utility in meeting somebody where they're at and also being able to demonstrate in a scientifically controlled study that you can lose weight. And when I say scientifically controlled, I got blood work pre post I did a four compartment model body composition. So I did DEXA, Bod Pod in body, so for body water, took some psychological questionnaires about my hunger, Um, did resting metabolic rate. So again, everything was controlled so that this will meet the scientific threshold for publication. And and just so we can appreciate, other people have done this. They did it with a lot of media um, attention so I'm, I don't really have any media attention, but I but I've done this at the at a scientific level. So that's what I'm contributing here.
0: Yeah, the famous one I can think of was like the famous Twinkies study where yeah. he was eating a lot of the, the Twinkies there. But yeah I, yeah, I like that this is done in a more scientifically rigorous uh, manner. And I also like the framing of where your diet was before to where it is now in terms of, I guess it was more of a flexible diet and that like 80-20, hey, I'm still enjoying like 20% of my calories from discretionary. It's just a kind of random framing, like you're getting plenty of fruit, fiber, that sort of thing. Were you, because I noticed you're having beans quite often, was that like to make sure you're hitting a certain, were you trying to hit a certain fiber threshold or just?
1: No, I think those were just happened to be days that, um, that I would have beans. So yeah, I didn't didn't track five. I mean, I'm sure fibers track, but I had no, no goal for fiber intake. My, my main, the, the most challenging thing was to just not, not allow protein to be high because you know, no yeah. protein shakes, no protein bars. Um, again, every day I tried to get about 60% of all calories. Oh, and I also want to say, basically there were two days of calories. I either ate about 2, 2,100 or I ate about 3,100. So 3,100 calories was my maintenance that was allowing me to maintain my heavy obese state. And then throughout the entire, I don't know, let's just say it was seven months or eight months, I I would diet with 2,100 calories most days, but on the weekends or if I'm traveling or on vacation, I would go back to like a a diet, uh, a diet break of 3,100 calories. So across the board, um, that's now, I will say the first two weeks I did, I took an aggressive approach. I was, I I, I was, I I don't want to say I panicked, but being that heavy for six months, I'm like, Hey, I'm not only am I highly motivated, I, I want to get some of this fat off. So in retrospect, I wish I hadn't done that because then it just would have been the same the entire time. But also sure. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to have that much fat. Um, and once I got through those two weeks, again, that was planned. I didn't, I didn't de- wake up the first day. Um, Cause I also believe that, or at least my thinking now is it may make sense to be more aggressive early in a diet. So I was just yeah. I'm just implementing something that I actually think is 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 beneficial for some people.
0: Yeah, I I also agree with that. I think it makes sense to kind of go hard early when you're in kind of the freshest state and most body fat as well. And it also creates a lot of buy-in. I think there's research showing that, right, where it creates quite a bit of buy-in for people where they see like a weight loss initially. So you had purposely pushed your weight, weight up to this kind of semi, uh, this obese state. Like that wasn't that that wasn't just you going through life that was like hey i'm doing this for research i'm going to push my body weight up to this kind of inflated position
1: um i want to say partially so i i knew i was gaining weight and i didn't do anything to stop it knowing that i was going to do this okay did, did i purposely have a goal of getting to 105 kilograms no I, I but i knew once i got you know i got to the point where i'm like hey I know I'm going to do a, I know I'm going to challenge this carbohydrate insulin model, and I don't want to get any heavier. But I also I, I need to maintain this for a while so that um, I'm training at this body weight so that when I do start this, the only thing I'm changing is my calories. So I was eating the that same diet, um, for about six months prior before i even started the weight loss again because i didn't want to all of a sudden drop protein because now that's a new intervention so really the only thing that changed was calories that's it i just reduced my calories
0: i can't imagine in um because of the, the habit of eating such a high protein diet now i can't imagine going for such a long period of time with that low of protein uh did you find i'm guessing you have other fat loss phases to compare this to did you find any distinct differences this time around versus those times like how was like hunger energy levels performance sleep was there any kind of major differences you noticed
1: yeah so you're, you're 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 wise i have done other things like this throughout my adult life just never at the level of a scientific study so um I've I I basically live my life now dieting gaining weight dieting gaining weight um, that could be two ways one I'm a sci- I'm a fat loss scientist so, so I like doing that and two I'm just not very good at maintaining a leaner physique it's it's not a skill that I'm I'm good at and I just I guess I just embrace it because well I'll go on a diet and learn and that'll generate some research ideas uh, the, the the something that was reinforced was my anticipation of starting this was worse than the actual implementation. I, I always feel like, oh, I don't want to go on a diet. But then when I'm actually on the diet, I do. It's it's not a big deal. At least that's been my experience. I will remember this. I've been not that heavy in the past, but I have had weight gain in the past, but... Um, probably I was about eight kilograms, seven or eight, seven kilograms more than what I had ever been in my life. So definitely heavier than what I'd ever been. Um, I noticed a couple of things. One, and again, I maintained that body weight for six months. It wasn't like I was just there for a week and dropped it, but I noticed just in walking upstairs, I would be more out of breath and I didn't think of that. And then I, my dad my dad is overweight much of his life. And he's he asked me that question. He goes, hey, now that you're this heavy, have you ever noticed that you're out of breath? And I'm like, yes, yes. I I, I do notice that, but I didn't really conceptualize it until he said. The second thing that, I st- that started to bother me was tying my shoes, just putting shoes on. I, my belly was a little bit getting in the way. And I'm like, I don't like this. And then the last thing, I would go to bed at night and I would have some burning like in my, um, my chest and I would go drink water and it didn't help. And, and I was like, this is weird. Like I don't. So I told my parents, and by the way, I come from an obese family and I asked my parents, I'm like, yeah, I got this burning. And they said, yeah, that's acid reflux or GERD. I'm like, oh, I had never had that before. Like, I didn't know what that was. And I didn't, I mean, it, it was, it was painful. So I had that, and then obviously once I lost weight, gone. So I haven't had that feeling in in months. So those are the three things: out of going, getting out of breath, going. You know, when I walk upstairs, having acid reflux, and then just not, not, just not. I can feel my stomach. But other than that, my sleep was the same. I didn't feel like I had less energy. I um, did. I did. And I've been pretty lean in my life too, especially when I was younger and I did bodybuilding. I I never feel a lot different. And I know that's not everybody's. Some people just feel horrible when they gain that much weight. I I can't say I felt horrible.
0: Yeah, the acid reflux is not a nice symptom of kind of uh, some people get it when they're massing and they're not even necessarily even that kind of far gone, but just eating so much food. But then, yeah, noticing that for the first time and then obviously it's not going to help your sleep the best either. How about when you were dieting down i guess you'd done diets where like i'm thinking if i'm losing that much weight probably by the end of diet i'm eating quite a lot of fruit and vegetables things to keep me full higher protein this sort of thing and obviously you weren't able to do that did you find that hunger was kind of harder to manage this time around
1: no i can't say that it that it was um just trying to remember and again i'm someone who interprets the protein research as the the preponderance of the evidence of the of that evidence says higher protein diets do help with satiety and satiation. Not all research but when when protein either shows it helps with with suppressing hunger or there's no difference. I've never read a study where protein makes you more hungry. So thinking about that in my head I'm thinking oh man this is going to be miserable but no I I I didn't. But I mean I think my wife would say if when I, when my, when my mind is set on something, it's, it, there's just really no, yeah. It's, yeah. So yeah, no difference from what I can remember about hunger levels, but I would never advise somebody to diet like this. Cause what I know is you eat these, all these highly processed foods that I was eating. That's not do, those are the worst things for hunger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think you highlight a good point in there how it's to some extent individual, like there'd be some people that probably could do similar to you and their manager. Okay. And then there'd be others who are just like ravenously hungry and they aren't, they haven't got that kind of committed mindset. Like you have, like you said, you've done bodybuilding, you'd go through these phases regularly. Whereas if it's like someone more gem pops, their first diet, they'll probably get to this point. Like you said, you can kind of just, it's a nice um, example of intervening and not having to change their diet as a whole. You just eat less. And then they'll probably get to a point where they're like, Hey, Bill, I'm really hungry here, and you could be like, "Well, you can kind of swap out this for this, and (laughs) you'll probably find you're more full."
2: (laughs) Yes. Yep. And there was something interesting
0: uh, during this, and you mentioned it via email. If I don't know how much you can speak to it, but you noticed your testosterone levels—you said nearly doubled. I don't know if you have even figures for that. Uh, or I do. Yeah.
1: So I I checked them because I I I thought we might talk about that. So I did blood work. As soon as i started this so i don't know like a week prior before starting the diet and my testosterone historically has been average so i don't the range is what like let's just say 250 to do you know the ranges um
0: Uh, i might actually have it uh here so the range uh actually no i don't uh wait do i no i have i have a range from a case study series of case studies from bodybuilders they had 543 to 922 Nanograms per deciliter. So, okay. so it's a, so not go. a bad.
1: No. So clinically low was like 250. So less than 250, let's say to 1100. So if you're less than 250, that's clinically low. And if you're more than 1100, I think they would say that's clinically high, depending on the lab. So you're saying, and this is helpful, you're looking at bodybuilders where it's been around 500 to 900. So I've always been in that 500 to 900 range. Oh, my entire, I mean, you know the 10 times that i've had it measured before probably in the 6 or 700s to be to if i my memory serves me correctly so my pre blood work when i'm at my heaviest when i have the most body fat it was 267 so i'm it was low so very close to being clinically deficient my at the end of my study my total testosterone was like 6 let's just say 6 50 627 so more than doubled so i don't for being that overweight in my opinion caused my testosterone to plummet which we we believe that happens and all i was doing is yes i lost body fat so i was restoring where i was at so i wouldn't i wouldn't phrase it as i doubled even though i did if you'd look at beginning yeah. to end but that that to me that just solidifies we know the average testosterone levels have gone down over the last few decades. And we know that adiposity has increased in developed countries. So that's, that could be the primary reason. Um, And again, there may be other explanations as well. And I also got measured my free testosterone and that stayed pretty stable. That was like in the middle maybe moderate, middle to high at the beginning and end. So my free testosterone didn't change much. And I know there's some people who suggest that it's your free testosterone, which is weirdly where you're going to get a lot of the symptoms of low testosterone. So free testosterone didn't really change much, but total did.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I know it's, uh, I don't know enough about these sort of things, but I have heard that free testosterone is like For muscle gain as well, that's maybe the one that matters more than your total testosterone. But I think it's also a good kind of sign of, I think a lot of people maybe even go on medication for TRT and things and it's like, hey, could you do anything in your lifestyle? to improve so obviously i imagine like your weight training you take care of your sleep things like this that are going to help you try and well i guess probably even if you improved your the diet post this like you eat less processed foods things like this you could even see that rise and i think it's just a good one again if, if someone is obese like hey just losing the body fat there is going to help in a big way it was
1: it was true in my case and remember that was the only change i made was just losing body fat Um, oh, I also measured. we also did, um, in addition to body composition, which I, I, I did not analyze that yet, but we also did a nine site B mode ultrasound. So we can look at the, the totality of my muscle thickness. So did me cutting my protein by all of this, you know, by pretty large amounts, was I able to maintain my lean muscle mass throughout this diet? Um, I had my colleague do that because he he he's the expert in that. So that'll be interesting. I, if I have to guess, and again, I have no idea. Um, I don't think I lost any muscle mass, um, but my resistance training didn't change. So the stimulus was there, but clearly the protein level was decreased. My wife will will say that I definitely lost muscle, <laughs> um, but yeah. So it, it will be fun to to look at the data. And I actually have my uh, the meeting with my research team um in two days where we're gonna we're gonna start laying out the plan for for analyzing this and writing it up
0: that will be interesting because i know again it's that like the one gram per pound or 2.2 per kilo is like the kind of general recommendation that you see out there and i think there was a recent maybe meta-analysis that looked at like hey 0.7 grams per pound is sufficient to be able to maximize like hypertrophy possibly so you'll have even been below that. I am Well, no, you're certainly below that. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if you can get away with even less, which in some ways will hurt me as a bodybuilder. But also <laughs> I think it's good to see that because it means it just opens up opportunities. A lot of, again, more gen pop. They're not into protein in the same way we are. And if they can just increase it by a small amount and see the same benefit, that's pretty cool. Uh, I guess yes. the question would be if you had higher protein, could you have even grown muscle during this period of time? But... I mean you're a pretty advanced lifter so it's going to be a challenge
1: yeah and i'm 48 so it's not i'm also fighting against the natural what 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 i believe is the yes so if i'm if i'm maintaining i might be winning (laughs) at this point
0: i i wouldn't i didn't think you were 48 uh i don't know what age i would have said but i wouldn't have said you were getting close to your 50s there so you're doing very well Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think the, the audience will agree. And th- I mean, the testosterone levels is also um, pretty good, I guess, f- for that period of time too, because I guess uh, that's when it's starting to th- look at dipping.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. And I again, this is going to force me to really dive into that research literature because I, I don't have this. I don't, I don't, ha- I have not done that before. I mean, past the cursory levels of what I know is low and high. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, will be fun for me to, to learn more about testosterone changes and adiposity.
0: I have one more question. I think on surrounding this bill, if you were to maintain, say this body weight and body composition for six months now, and then try and lose another 10% of your body weight doing the same approach, do you think there'd be any differences to the outcomes? Uh, do you think you'd find it harder? That's
1: a good question. Um, So let me, let me just think. So if I'm 207, I just want to do that math real quick. Yeah, I I would feel like I would need to, I I believe, now I don't know, but I believe I would have to probably stay on, I would say work harder, but I wouldn't work harder because I would keep the same approach. But I would imagine it probably would take me a longer period of time to lose that because when I was 231, again, never had been that high or 105 kilograms. That fat came off pretty quickly early. Now that probably wouldn't happen. And uh, it's funny. I'm going to do a. I'm gonna. I'm. I, I am gonna. My next personal case study will be a very, very severe, rapid fat loss study. Um, I don't probably sometime in the next few months. So I just need to make sure, again, that everything's stable going into that. So I will do nothing like this, but um, I'm going to do an, um, a very, I mean a, I mean, a severe deficit and a high, high amounts of cardio to see what happens.
0: Uh, that'll be interesting and we we'll have to talk about it but um yeah I guess another 10% would get you pretty damn lean and I'm just thinking hey you've got le- less body fat to lose like you said so it's going to take you longer you'd want the rate of gain uh, sorry loss to probably be slower and it'll probably you adapt more so down like you won't be as burning many calories uh, from yeah. your day-to-day living because you're a smaller person and then I wonder what the must like hey if you've got less fat to almost protect the muscle uh, from being lost. If you weren't having higher protein then, would there be more risk because you're a leaner individual? I would think so. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, I guess this case study that you've done is very appropriate for like the general person looking at it, but you probably wouldn't give it to like, again, a bodybuilder who's like, hey, I'm already 15% like body fat. I want (laughs) to get down. Yeah, follow this. You'll be just fine. (laughs) It's like, uh, I might not work out for you the same way.
1: There's no bodybuilder that would accept this. (laughs) no. (laughs) I don't think. Um yeah, I would be if I did another 10%, that, that I would be very lean by the end of this. I mean, yeah. leaner than I've probably been in oh, maybe 20 years. So, yeah, it, w- it would be interesting. I'm not going to do it.
0: <laughs> no. I <laughs> don't blame you. With the uh, rapid fat loss uh, diet that you're going on to, do you have a certain rate of loss you're going for or a certain size of calorie deficit just out of interest?
1: Um so I'm still developing this, and again, my team's gonna help me. My re- my research assistants will help, but it'll be somewhere in the, um, in the ballpark of a uh, a gram per pound, or maybe maybe 0.75 grams per pound, or one point six, maybe two point two grams per kg of body weight, and that will be that'll be it. Um, so almost as much as much pure protein as I as I can do. So what would that put me at? That would put me at, oh, uh, I don't know, probably around 800 calories, 900 calories total. And then what I wanna do is mimic um, a study that I reviewed in my research review where they had obese males basically have a 300, an 85% caloric deficit of th- and basically eating 320 calories per day. And they had them walk for about eight hours per day for four days straight. And then also do some arm cranking exercise. So I won't go as aggressive, but I'll have more protein and I'm not going to do arm cranking exercise. I I don't know if I I have to, I'm going to have to see, make sure I can handle walking eight hours. But if I can, that's what I would like to do. I would like to mimic that study as much as I can. And again, I'd like to get blood work, do the whole four compartment body composition model, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. That must, that's a huge calorie deficit (laughs) that you're going to be in. I mean, if you're doing the eight hours as well, that's going to be a lot of steps. Uh, do you know what the time course, like how, how long do you run that for? In that study, they did four days
1: of of that. So four days long, and then they refed them back to pre-diet levels for three days. So and then basically and this is a really awesome study about rapid fat loss and and let me just say the reason I'm really interested in this my lab just com- we 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 did a rapid fat loss study and I just submitted it for publication so I'm really really excited about some and because I've changed my mind on some of this stuff with rapid fat loss but in that other study um, they also measured their body composition a month later and then a year later and they usually those types of diets will cause hyperphagia and body fat overshoot so you're technically doing more harm than good when you're when you're that aggressive but they found in that study the body fat was essentially maintained they didn't lose lean mass now again it was only four days but it was a very severe four days and there was no resistance training in, in during those four days so to me it kind of impressed upon me which is what i think you can be very aggressive but it needs to be very short so you need to get in and get out before your body starts to adapt by targeting lean tissue stores. So that's that's kind of been my thinking on this. So, yeah, I want to just see on myself what would, what would happen. So I'm already thinking, and I'm scared. I'm like, man, am I, I don't know if I can do that for four days. But, uh, yeah, like, I don't want to just, I don't want to take protein shakes because I want to try to get as full as I can on this protein. So those are my thoughts right now. So, yeah, you're hearing me think through this. Um, right now, maybe I do a seven-day study, and it's not quite as aggressive. I, I don't know yet, but it's going to be something in that four to seven-day period, measuring body water, getting you know all of the, the the blood work, all that stuff as well.
2: Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better. If you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change, sign up today and let's revive stronger.
0: That'd be really interesting. It's kind of one of those, like, do you want to rip the plaster off, like, quickly or just, like, slowly take it off? And there's definitely personality types that, like, one or the other. So this is, like, ripping it off quickly. And so if, if you find that it's not that bad, like, you can manage it for a week. I know, um, I think Martin McDonald, I've had him come on, talk about rapid fat loss. He's quite a big fan. Like, he almost says, like, go as aggressive. Like, the quote is here. He says, like, go as aggressively as you can, like, like almost as hard as you can. And Menno is pretty, uh, a big fan of like these very aggressive short periods of time. Whereas I've only ever really done like mini cuts, which is like a one to one and a half percent body weight loss per week, which is a little aggressive. Like it's pretty aggressive, but it's not like this where you'll be losing right. way over that. I imagine.
1: Yeah. in that, in that, what I call the crazy study, I think they had lost four or 5% of their body weight in those four days. Now, again, some of that was body water. So. Um, and that's one thing I've appreciated with my own study that we didn't publish yet. Plus this one, if you're doing anything that's aggressive, that's, that's two weeks or less, you have to measure body water because those fluid changes are pretty massive. And then interestingly, within about two more weeks, so within a month, everything's, everything relative to body water is pretty much back to normal, even with your, your, um, your continued weight loss maintenance. So you got to be careful about how you're interpreting anything with rapid fat loss un- un- unless you're bringing in body water assessments because that can really, and again, that, ha- that happened to us as I was analyzing our data in my own study, came to a completely different conclusion before we brought in the water and analyzed that. That made me think, oh, this wasn't good. And I'm like, oh, well, it actually wasn't bad.
0: That makes so much sense because even when you think – because people think about, again, like going low carb and you drop like the water weight and the glycogen. But when you're going pure protein, you're dropping any fiber, gut content, like all of these things as well. So like it's not pure fat loss that you're seeing <laughs> for sure during this period of time. But uh, I, I remember a while ago there was – and I think I spoke to Menno about it um, being a rate limiter of like fat loss per day. Like there's only a certain amount of fat you could lose per day. Do you, Ooh, do you think cool. that do you think that is a thing or like have you seen anything on that?
1: No, I, I haven't ever searched that, but I, I just I love the concept. Um yeah, see what would make me think is no, if you could if you could stay active 24 hours per day, you're gonna you're your that energy is gonna come from somewhere. Um now that's not to say there wouldn't be a huge adaptation or rebound after that, but yeah, I mean. My my gut would say again theoretically. I don't know if there would be a a. I mean, clearly there's going to be an upper limit to what you can do with physical activity. And again, let's assume you're eating zero food. Um, so yeah, I guess at some point you're limited by how much activity can you do, um, in in a given a, a given period of time. Um, and I, I think this this would then invite the whole energy compensation model the i don't know if you're familiar with that where your body adapts to exercise so you're not really burning as many calories over the course of the day um that was um popularized by herman ponzer ponzer yeah. uh, you familiar with any of that stuff
0: yeah his book burn yeah i, yes, that's I, it. I definitely yeah i've I, I haven't read the book but i've heard the theoretical models and everything like this and uh, i think that that there's definitely something to it <laughs> like where uh, at least I can anecdotally say like in contest preps with clients, like when you ramp up steps, I remember wearing a weighted vest, 10 kilogram weighted vest for 22 to, oh, about 20,000 steps a day that I was using it for and being stood for the majority of my day. And it was like, I will, like just, you have to keep dropping calories. <laughs> and like the body just, whatever it happens, like I just got fatigued elsewhere and I was better at conserving it. I walked more, I don't know, less perp, uh, perp. Uh, less like vigor in my walking that sort of thing so i think there's probably something to it but uh, i don't know where you stand with that
1: um based on my
0: reading i also think there's something to it but it's not
1: anywhere close to how the media likes to describe it or sensationalize it it's i mean there's there's articles that will say exercise is worthless for fat loss and i'm like you'll never find a study that i where they gave overweight or obese individuals an exercise program and they didn't lose body fat maybe not weight weight's a little tricky because they when you put sedentary people even on a walking program they actually gain typically they'll gain some lean mass so it looks like they haven't lost any weight but when you measure fat so yeah that whole model yes something to it and by the way eric trexler dr trexler he's studying he's getting his postdoc with dr herman Ponser. yes he is so yeah, so he 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 would be in my network. He would be the expert that could just talk probably for hours on that. And I don't even know where he stands. I just know again my my reading on it was yes. And I and intuitively, okay, I, here's what I ask my students: if we have you walk, let's say five kilometers a day, and you and you lose weight, do you think you're going to continue to get the same weight loss effects? 12 months from now, as you do today. And of course, everybody says, no, I wouldn't expect that. So, yeah, I think we all agree. Your body does adapt. You can't do what you're doing today and expect it to work the same as a year from now. So it's not, I don't think it's it's a big stretch to think that there is semi-adaptation. But the level that, again, I think it's mostly the media will tend to propagate this is, um, is what you would expect from the media, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those sensational uh, like uh, article headlines that just uh, clickbait, essentially, to try and draw the eyes, and it's like one study, and they pick out one thing from it, or something like this, so it's uh, it's unfortunate, um, but yeah, maybe I'll have, to, I'll have to bring Eric on and dive into that a little bit more. Uh, to switch gears a little bit, I know you're celebrating a year of Body by Science now, which is exciting, uh, which I've contributed to, which, if I was to summarize it, uh, you're taking really interesting studies that are kind of... Uh, that the general like people are very interested people listen to this podcast will be very interested in and you are essentially kind of summarizing them making them easy to digest you're, you're doing and kind of reviewing it yourself and taking your take-homes and kind of the practical takeaways as well and then you're getting experts who are like colleagues in the field to come in and also give their take on it how they'd approach it with their clients if it informed their practice if they change anything about what they do which i think is a really cool kind of mix of like practice and also science, because I think a lot of us, that's what the science is trying to inform what we do in practice a lot of the time. And that's kind of what your research is all about. So I think it's really great. And you had this kind of 99 uh, page greatest hits issue which uh, I think people would be really interested in. So I'll make sure that's a link so people can download that and then maybe they read that and kind of then want to subscribe afterwards. And I thought we could dive into one of those, which is actually kind of topical because it's something we were kind of just talking about in terms of, it was this one uh, titled What Causes Weight Loss Plateau? Metabolic Adaptation or a Lack of Dietary Adherence where you reviewed this one uh, study. And I thought, yeah, it's a, it'd be a really interesting one for people to hear about because I think there's probably a lot of coaches in this uh, kind of uh, podcast listening as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and w- while we're talking about the research review, thank you for being one of my expert contributors. You you were like the first or second issue, I think.
0: I think I was second, yeah.
1: Yeah, very, yeah, so thank you. Um, yeah, so weight loss plateaus, I, I mean, if if you've coached one person, you've probably heard, hey, <laughs> I'm not losing weight, <laughs> what do we gotta do? So it makes sense that we, at least me as a fat loss researcher, I have to at least have some working knowledge of what's causing, and I'll call it a perceived weight loss plateau. And this study that you're mentioning, they, they didn't actually do a study. What they did was they used mathematical modeling and they used this mathematical modeling approach to say, what is the likely cause of somebody who can't lose weight is it because their metabolisms their metabolic rates is it because it slowed down so much that now they actually are having a weight loss plateau because what used to be a 500 calorie deficit is no longer a deficit at all because their metabolism is slowed or is it because they are not adhering to the diet so they, they they they're essentially eating more calories than what they either believe or what they're reporting and as we get into this i do want to i think it's important to say the research in this area looks at your typical general pop client or somebody who's sedentary overweight or with obesity so we have to almost appreciate the research is coming from a population that maybe we as as um weight loss physique coaches might th- there's some clear differences there so i always want to be careful about Making that extrapolation from the research to bodybuilders essentially is what I'm saying, and and maybe we maybe we don't need to be careful, but we at least need to raise the possibility.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you mentioned uh, in it where you're like, hey, competitors are less likely to lack adherence because like they have this like big goal that they're moving towards, lots of experience doing it, that sort of thing, and I guess also as a competitor, you're leaner, so like the stall is more likely to come from well. You you would assume the kind of metabolic adaptations maybe a little bit more harsh versus when you're heavier. I would guess that 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 might be there too. So yeah, I think that was really important framing.
1: Yes. Yep.
0: And so with this, uh, actually, you you did also mention it's important because you said a perceived plateau. Uh, important to define what a plateau looks like. So I thought that would be uh, maybe a good place to start as well. Like for you, uh, when you're looking at this, what's a plateau?
1: Well, the researchers were, they took a definition that's, I would say, pretty brutal. And essentially, they're calling a weight loss, they're using the exact, the, the, as the term sounds is how they defined it. So they're saying, I am no longer able to lose any weight. So a true weight loss plateau is such that I'm not, I'm still in a deficit. And I'm not able to lose weight anymore at where I used to be. Let's just say it's a 500 calorie deficit every day for week after week, month after month. If they're actually doing that and they get to the point where weight is no longer lowering, no longer decreasing, that is a weight loss plateau. And the authors of the study, they admit that metabolic adaptation and a true weight loss plateau will happen. However, they make the argument based on their mathematical modeling that it happens about two to three years when we if somebody were to keep dieting five hundred calories per day, there would come a point in time, probably, well, let's just say even one to two years later, when their metabolism has adapted so much though, that they cannot lose any more weight unless they reduce their calories more. So really, what they were asking in this study was, what's the cause of an early weight loss plateau will we admit that a weight loss plateau will occur at some time in the future but all of the weight loss literature and this is i'll just say this is really interesting they make the claim that weight loss plateaus in the research literature appear to happen at about 6 months so i looked i have a pretty large library of studies and you know there's not a ton of studies that have people diet for a year but almost every single study that I looked at where they had, where they put people on a diet, and again, these are always going to be people with obesity or people that are overweight, it's almost identical what happens. They lose weight for six months and then they start to gain weight back. And it's, again, I just challenge anybody look at any weight loss study you can find. And if it's 12 months long, see if that's not what you see in whatever study you find. See if they didn't have their peak weight loss at about six months. And then they started to go back towards their pre-weight for the next six months. So it's fascinating. So that's what these researchers tested. an early weight loss plateau. And what they did, they developed two models. They developed one model, which assumed metabolic adaptation. And then in the other model, they they made an adherence model, which is they assumed that subjects would not follow, would not be um, adhering to their prescribed diet as long. Now, I think it's important to note, first of all, I'm not a mathematician, so I don't, I can't talk about the nuances of their modeling. But they, we, their models were developed based on real human studies where there were actual weight losses, caloric deficits over periods of time. So the, the Minnesota starvation trial was one of the studies they pulled data from. There's another series of studies called the calorie trials. They pulled data from that. So these mathematical models weren't purely just drawn up from pure math, they were derived from actual human weight loss trials. And what they concluded was an early weight loss plateau is significantly better explained from a lack of adherence. So when people do not, when basic, I'm going to say it like this, At, at around six months, people are sick of dieting. They experience diet fatigue, And they start eating more food and they're and they're saying hey i'm not losing any more weight i need i need you to help you know we need to do some trick here to help me lose weight when the reality is at least in this in this study what you need is to be adherent to the caloric deficit that you are probably not that that data fit their model much better than uh, Than the assumption that their metabolisms were slowing down so much in six months. So that's hopefully that helped explain what they found.
0: Yeah, it was shocking to me the adherence model where they kind of looked at predicting how much adherence to the deficit needed to have happened to match the weight loss that occurred. It was like 80% from one month, 60% at two months, then 50%, 30%, 40%, 40% thereafter. It was just like wild how much adherence yes. had to drop off <laughs> like I, you'd think someone wouldn't I don't know know it in themselves that hey i'm 50 percent less adherent here <laughs> but uh it's well, and, kind of and, wild
1: and, and, and you're saying the same thing i said as i'm reviewing this i'm like this just nobody's going to care about this but what i realized was one that data came th- that adherent those adherence numbers which were bad like you said they were basically adhering half the time that came from the actual human trials where they had Doubly labeled water, where they knew we can predict they would lose this much weight with this much of a caloric deficit, and anything other than that, it has to be from underreporting or not adhering to the diet. The second thing is, again, in our world, nobody in the no nobody's gonna in my world anyway. People they're not going to adhere that bad. They might put a a, a you know a, a scoop and a half of. Of peanut butter on their sandwich, but just say it's a it's one you know it's one scoop. That's that's how we cheat. This is a whole different world, and again, that's where we have to appreciate. There's a world of people out there, a population of people who who adhere to that poorly. And again, I think we all know that. It's just that in in physique and bodybuilding culture, it's it's likely unheard of. But I think my reason for wanting to include that is a lot of our clientele are this, people getting into the fitness journey for the first time. And my entire point was, or my, the point I wanted to make, when you have a client that's experiencing a weight loss plateau, let's not assume that it actually is a weight loss plateau. Let's at least make sure that we're covering all of our bases and, and, and kind of guaranteeing are you really following what the prescribed diet is? If if you are, great. And then we can let's talk about how we're gonna solve this. But I don't, I wouldn't want to make any assumptions that, oh, they're clearly following this diet. And that's especially true if the diet is three months, four months, five months. If we start getting into these very elongated um diet phases.
0: Yeah, I really liked the the practical take-home from it where like you don't make any assumptions, like it again, it can feel a bit confronting if you're like. Just, just accuse your client of not adhering because you're like hey look at this bill said this and there's more than likely you're not adhering and you're not actually uh, adapting to it but you can kind of have, have a look at it be like hey this is what i think can you uh, kind of fully admit that you're completely tracking everything and i've even done gone as far to like get clients to take photos because sometimes It's not such a lack of adherence but it's a lack of knowledge of knowing like even how to track food sometimes you need to educate them on how to use like my fitness pal you don't just enter in ham sandwich you kind of make sure it's the bread you've got the ham like the right weight of the ham these sort of things uh, which i don't work with that type of population very often anymore but certainly uh, like i imagine a lot of the people your audience and uh, a lot of the coaches are probably coaching people like that where it, it might literally be they they don't quite understand how these various, like a tablespoon of peanut butter, they might literally think to just scoop it in and then drop it on top. It's like, hey, that might be like three tablespoons of yes. weight.
1: <laughs> That's easy to do with peanut butter too. It's easy to do.
0: For sure. So I thought that was, yeah, really nice reminder, but yeah, the, the stark amount of like lack of adherence and... Uh, as you said it's less common in bodybuilders but i think it happens like quite heavily and i imagine like that 50 percent lack of adherence is probably like days where they are be like on it and then days where they're just like don't know, like binging or completely breaking the diet and they just aren't on it at all and i can't pretend that binge eating doesn't happen in bodybuilding so like you could you just have to from my perspective like with clients get a really good relationship with them generate a lot of trust so that they can feel like they can divulge that information. Because it, it might be that you're like, hey, if you're binging, let's call the diet here. Like maybe it's not even wise to keep going.
1: Yes, yep.
0: So Bill, in terms of, um, have you got anything else exciting going on uh, with your research review or anything you can share there or the other, any other studies going on in your lab?
1: Yeah, so what we what we're doing now, we're finishing up a systematic re- review and meta-analysis where we're comparing what's better for fat loss, cardio or resistance exercise. And what we did was we included every study. The inclusion criteria was a study where there were three groups, a cardio only group, a resistance training only group, and a concurrent training group. Because those are the studies that within the same study design, we have a cardio and a resistance training group. Um, And again, it's very hard to match work or time with cardio, but but we felt like that was the best approach to to try to answer that question. So that's right now, that data is being analyzed. My research team is designing a study that's going to help answer the question, what do we do after the diet? So it's this whole, and bodybuilders would gravitate towards a reverse diet or recovery diet. We're looking at Right now, we don't have much research on anything after the diet, so let's, let's, let's contribute something. So we're going to look at, we're going to diet people down, and again, we're still in the middle of, of these items, but what we know so far, we're going to diet people down, and then we're going to have an intervention after the diet. So probably a group that we give no instructions to, another group that maybe we bring back calories quickly, and another group where it's slower. And then where I'm going to email you and probably in a week or two, um, we're doing a survey study to learn from bodybuilding coaches about, hey, what do you currently do with your clients after the diet? So we're going to try to learn as much as we can from experts like you, and then that will help inform us on what we're actually going to study. So that's going to be a survey study. We're waiting for that to get approved. And as soon as it gets approved, we're going to send it out. Um, to coaches that because bodybuilders are the ones that really seem to focus on this in the general population there's a lot more that can be there's a lot more of a learning curve there so that's what we're doing there and then i already mentioned just my own my next case study on myself will be some type of rapid fat loss study so those are the that's what we're doing and what we're gonna be doing
0: sounds super exciting the uh well to me it's it's super exciting stuff i think that kind of how to Go about the end of a diet is something that's way understudied and way underappreciated by a lot of competitors and also general pop with, with the population that you're dieting are you dieting them down like very lean or how lean are they getting out of interest do you have that so already, yeah that, that
1: remains to be seen and that's part of our um and i would love if you have thoughts please email them to me or just now share so that's the question we we, we know that we're, again we're not going to get competitive bodybuilders for this um I've already we've already tried to do this study in bodybuilders and they didn't they they didn't do what they said they would do. We published it. It's you can search um instead of us talking about recovery versus a reverse diet we said here's what happens after the show because that's essentially what we
0: got. Right. Okay. That's interesting in its own right actually. It is. Yes.
1: Yeah, if anybody wants to look at that study if you just google the the phrase JFMK that stands for Journal of Functional Morphology and Kinesiology. So JFMK, Campbell, that study will probably come up. I mean, that was in bodybuilders. So we know that we want to diet them hard enough to make sure that there's significant weight loss, because otherwise, we're not. You know, we want to find out what's best after the diet, and the way to answer that question and best is to have the largest amount of weight loss. So that one, if there's rebound, we'll be able to see that. If we do a, a diet study and they only lose a kilogram, well, I don't think we're gonna learn much about what happens after the diet. So we right now we're we're in discussions. How aggressive do we wanna be and for how long? So I'm thinking we try to be as aggressive, and and uh, let me also say my students are the ones designing this study. I'm giving input. Um Dr. Eric Trexler, too, he'll be our data analyst for this. So he's he'll have a big say into the final study design. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking six weeks of as aggressive as we can think that our subjects can be in six weeks, so that we can then, yeah, really answer the question. And again, we have this um, more than, we're more than prepared for this study lasting all of 2024. So 12 months long. Um Probably going to do this virtually, which that's another um, that creates a lot of problems and opportunities. The we just with my the diet that I just did, I told you that I did um, a four compartment model. So that's the best. That is the closest thing we can do to measure my true losses of body fat. So you you get your bone density, you get your body water, you get your your um, your body volume with a bod pod and those three things give you your your true your as true as humanly possible body fat percentage. I also tested four home scales, so bathroom scales with BIA technology during this. So, I'm hoping that one of these scales was really close to being able to detect the changes that the gold standard four compartment model did. And if that's so, then we have a scale that we can say to our virtual subjects, use this scale. Or I'm thinking what we're going to do is, is there a DEXA that you have access to? Use that. Is there an in-body? And so hopefully we can, again, that's going to be some of what we're going to give up. We can't be standard. And if they have nothing, then use this home scale. So that's not great, but it's what we would have, it's, it's, You know how it is that's it's a limitation but it allows us to get more people that could potentially um, be a subject in this kind of a study
0: yeah i think it's it's kind of worth the limitation there where you get a bit more quantity despite maybe i guess a lack of quantity uh, quality sorry but the quality would just lead to having barely anyone involved i imagine so that's exciting and yeah uh, i'll be interested to answer any questions about it in in terms of all of that because I have many thoughts surrounding kind of that period of time. And it's even, like I said, it's interesting that you had a study on bodybuilders and they didn't adhere because I'm sure there's coaches listening and myself included. Like I try and get clients to do a certain approach post show and we discuss it ahead of time but not always does it get adhered to because it's a really challenging time. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that these these bodybuilders were like, they, they they didn't show the adherence that you liked because in practice, that also yeah. st- tends to happen uh, post-show where people I don't know, go off the rails a little bit. Sometimes, not always. <laughs>
1: yes. And and I also want to give credit. James Longstrom was my master student at the time. He designed that study. He, did, he designed an awesome study. And one of the things we seated or we said, hey, bodybuilders, we're going to let you choose what you do after your show. Do you want to go back slowly or do you want to go back, you know, do you want to increase your calories quickly? So we knew that would help. And even with that, the ones who said they would go back slow sometimes didn't the ones who said, Hey, I'm going to get it back fast sometimes didn't. So you essentially had this, you had data that really wasn't a reverse or recovery. So we couldn't take the approach that we really that he really wanted to that was his you know the intent was to compare slow versus fast so now we're trying it again with non-bodybuilders essentially
0: that'll be interesting yeah i guess um the body fat has certain implications to what approach maybe is more appropriate, but it's still useful information to get nonetheless. So, yeah, Bill, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure chatting to you. And uh, definitely, as a reminder, I'll make sure that the research review is linked below so you can kind of get uh, some insights into that with the 99 greatest hits and everything uh, like that, or oh, the 99 pages of greatest hits, rather. That'll so- yeah. sound quite different otherwise. And um, I'm, I'm definitely interested in all the studies and research that you're doing, and we'll have to jump on again at some point thank you so much for your time bill and uh we'll catch everyone else uh very shortly uh i want to make sure first of all actually if people aren't already following you i know instagram's your main gig is there anywhere else people should follow
1: nope just bill campbell phd and then if people are interested in getting this um the free 99 page body you know my research review um that's billcampbellphd.com just at the very top of the page you can click on a link and You just put in your email and then I'll send you the, um, you'll have access to the best of
0: year one. Perfect. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Mini Cup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the the mini-cut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The mini cut movement is open 24 seven. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.